So we're in a series titled, The God Who Is There. We want to know God, the real God. Not just the God that we've heard about or the God that we imagine. We want to know the real God because we want a relationship with God. And he wants a relationship with us. And he has taken the time to reveal himself to us and to preserve a record of that self-revelation in the Bible. You know, one of the reasons I do not find it difficult to believe that the Bible we have today is an accurate copy of what was originally penned is because of God's desire to be known. And so he uh, uses his mighty power to preserve his word so that we can know him accurately. No, we cannot know him exhaustively, but we can know him accurately because he has revealed himself to us and he wants to be known and he's given us all that we need to know him enough that we can have a relationship with him and please him. And so this series, it's a long series, I think today is week 11, uh, we are marching through the Bible and unpacking uh, what we can learn about God, what he has revealed about himself in the word of God. And if you've missed earlier sermons, you can catch up online, clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater Church app. There have been some great sermons preached, and so I encourage you to do that. And today what we're going to see is that the God who is there is the God who is gathering his people and transforming them. God is creating a new humanity. And so today we're talking about the church. The church, which is the, uh, the gathering of these new people of God, and also the vehicle, the primary vehicle, through which God does transform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to start with an imagination exercise. I want you to imagine you're an angel. I know you're all angels. You don't act like angels all the time. I don't. But, okay, so imagine you're an angel, and you're, you're watching Adam and Eve take the bite from the forbidden fruit. What, how would you have felt? You have, you, you're a good angel at this point, right? Hopefully always. Uh, and you, you have, uh, you've been watching God create this world, and over it he said, it's good. And then he creates Adam and Eve, uh, created in his image, and he says, very good. And uh, you're, you're marveling at God's wisdom and the beauty of his creation, and you're wondering, how's this all going to work out? This looks so awesome. And then Adam and Eve disobey God, and they do the one thing he told them not to do. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They listen to Satan and his lies, and and when they do, when they eat that, when they sin, death enters into the creation and death spreads to all men and it corrupts the entire universe. And so the universe is groaning. And you're an angel and you're watching this. What were you thinking? No! And the Bible doesn't tell us what the angels are thinking, but I have, to, I have to imagine that there was a lot of, oh, no, it's ruined. You just set off a bomb and blew up God's great plan, all his good things that he had in store. Ah. And now hundreds of years later, 
people are so bad that God sends a flood and destroys every person on the planet because they're so wicked except Noah and his family. And you're thinking, ugh, this thing is totally spiraling out of control. But there's Noah and his family. Maybe they'll do better. Well, do they? Not really. And then God chooses Abraham and Abraham's descendants, and he says, I'm going I'm to make you a kingdom of priests, and you'll represent me on earth. But the people of God keep failing to live up to their high calling. They keep getting caught up in sin and abandoning the Lord, and he's having to discipline them and discipline them and discipline them. Finally, he kicks them out of the promised land. I think as an angel, I'd be watching this thinking, ah, Satan seems to have the upper hand. This just... This whole creation thing and these humans, um, maybe this was a bad idea. It is just not going uh, according to plan. And what I think our biblical text is saying today, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, I think what it's saying today is that it wasn't until the church was formed and people began to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and have their sins canceled and being dwelt by the Spirit and they're reconciled to God and to each other and they're learning to be like Jesus. It wasn't until the church began to form that the angels got it. And it was the big aha moment. And they realized, wait a second, God's had an awesome plan from the beginning Satan never had the upper hand. God, things were never out of control. This has all been part of God's plan. It's been his doing, and he's got it all under control. And in fact, it's awesome. It's better. It's, it's awesomer than we ever imagined. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. We're looking today at verses 7 through 13. Ephesians is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to Gentile believers in the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor. And in this text, he's, he's telling them about an incredible plan that God had before he ever said, let there be light, before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to rescue people in his son, Jesus Christ, that is absolutely awesome and even better than what it could have, would have been otherwise. Starting in verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to br bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. 
So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news. And it's the good news that God in Jesus Christ is reconciling people to himself and to each other. Here's the way he puts it in the previous chapter. He's been reminding these Gentiles that prior to Jesus coming, they had no hope. They were separated from God. They were not part of the people of God. They're not Jews. The promises were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his descendants, the Jewish people. It's the Jewish people who are waiting for the Messiah. It was the Jewish people uh, who believed that they would, uh, had hope that they would be able to enjoy the Messianic kingdom. But the Gentiles, yes, they could convert to Judaism and become, become proselytes. But for most of the Gentiles, they had no hope. They were far from God. They were separated from the people of God. And that was their status. And then in chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's so awesome. When Christ hung upon the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, he knocked down, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated humans from God and humans from each other. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one New man in place of the two, so making peace. See, God is not just interested in uh, saving individuals. He's creating a whole new humanity. He is rescuing what was lost by Adam's sin. And in fact, it's better than it ever would have been. And might reconcile us both to God In one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so the the gospel that Paul was going around preaching to the Gentiles was, Hey, guess what? If you have faith in God's son Jesus, you too can have a share in the Messiah and in the Messianic kingdom. You can go from being far to God to being near to God You can be indwelt with his spirit. You can be reconciled to him. Your sins can be forgiven. And you can live forever uh, with God and with your fellow believer. It's incredible. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Well, how's that true? I'm not sure there's been a Christian more influential than the Apostle Paul. Yet Paul was very aware that he had started out as a persecutor of Christians. He had put Christians in prison. He had killed Christians. 
And then God, in his grace and mercy to Paul, arrests Paul, reveals to him who he really is, and Paul's heart changes. But he always views himself as, you know, the least of all the saints. To me, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love that phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This doesn't mean you'll never find any riches in Christ. The, word, the Greek word here, translated unsearchable, uh, really means limitless. Uh, it has the word picture of a trail that never ends. And so, uh, I can't help but think about hunting. Uh, lately, the Mariner clan's gotten into moose hunting, quite successfully, I might add. But growing up, it was sheep hunting. We, that's what we did. We, we hunted for sheep, and so I spent many Augusts up in uh, different mountain ranges. And you would follow these game trails, and they would just go and go and go, seeming without end. And that's what Paul's saying. Uh, the riches of Christ, you can follow it a lot for, for a lifetime, and you'll never come to the end. You'll never plumb the depths of what God has for you in Jesus Christ, which is why old Christians are, are still super excited to study the Bible. And they're super excited to talk about Jesus. And they're super excited to be at church and to hear uh, sermons. Why? Because they know there's always more to be had. There's always more God has for them in Jesus Christ. And you know what? We will never, throughout all eternity, we will never come to the end and say, well, is there anything more? There's always more. That's amazing. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And I have to, I have to wonder, <clears throat> why are we shy from sharing with people where they can find limitless riches? Why do we shy away from telling our neighbors and our classmates and our coworkers uh, uh, the gospel, the good news? Is it maybe because uh, we're not ourselves searching out the riches of Christ and experiencing that in our own lives? Because if we get it like Paul does, you can bet we're not going to be shy because we know we're doing people a great service introducing them to Jesus Christ. Verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. God kept to himself the fact that he had a plan to rescue people in Jesus Christ, to reconcile people to God and to each other, to create a new humanity. God had that plan, but he did not share that with the angels. The Bible tells us that. Now, the angels wanted to look into the mysteries of salvation, but you know God kept that to himself until the uh, the right time, and then he sent his son Jesus. And it wasn't until the angels uh, see the church being formed that they get it. Oh, I can see now what God is doing. This is brilliant. He's had this plan all along. Satan never had the upper hand. God was always in control. This is amazing. Verse 10. So that through the church... Think about that. 
the church with all of its flaws and with all of its partially transformed people, right? Yet the church reveals the wisdom of God and brings him glory. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Manifold means many faceted, many colored. The church reveals God's wisdom in so many ways. And it is not lost on the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are those? Those are the angels, both the good angels and the fallen angels. Satan is a fallen angel and so are the demons. And the church is proof positive that God is wise and in control. Clearwater Church, along with many, many thousands and thousands of other churches, is bringing God glory and it is proclaiming God's wisdom to the angelic realm. Isn't that awesome? Why? See, I think that... Oh, well, let me go to the next, point, the next verse. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal purpose. Before God ever said, let there be light, he knew Adam and Eve were going to sin. And he knew that he was going to send his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he knew that there would be men and women by the hundreds, the thousands, the millions, billions, who would repent of their sins and find their sin debt and the power of sin canceled in their lives and eventually the presence of sin removed from their lives, who would be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other and dwelt with the Spirit of God, transformed, falling in love with God because they've experienced His grace and mercy in their lives and who would live forever. You see, I think that's a better humanity than merely created in His image and without sin because our experience of God, our knowledge of God is different it's deeper. It's richer. We're, we're not just people who've never sinned. We're people who have sinned and been forgiven and been taught and been loved on and have learned to walk by faith, right? The new humanity is going to be an even more glorious humanity because of God's eternal plan and because of Jesus' willingness to obey the Father's plan all the way to the point of the cross. And the angels up until the church didn't know what was going on all of a sudden they get it and even Satan and the demons recognize God's wisdom and many multifaceted wisdom which of course spells doom for them and you know what else Satan's all, already unloaded his entire arsenal and, and Christ on the cross canceled it all out so he's got nothing left he has no more teeth the new people of God aren't at risk. God is so wise. Isn't that amazing? In whom, verse 12, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have access to God, confident access. Not because we are good enough, because, but because Christ is perfect and he's done it all for us. 
and we're bold. We go out into the world proclaiming the good news, knowing that sometimes they'll throw us in prison, sometimes they'll mock us, sometimes they'll kill us, but that's okay. They can kill the body, they cannot kill the soul. We are eternal beings. The church. The church matters to God. The church is glorious. The church is important. I want to end with three points. Number one, the church is central to history. I studied history in college. Secular college, you can't, the Bible's not a historical text. You can't use the Bible in any of your papers. You can't talk about what God is up to. That's not real history I was taught. And I knew, actually, it's the most important history. What God is up to is what really matters. And so I was glad when I got to seminary I could talk about the Bible and <laughs> biblical history. The Bible says history is marching forward inexorably to a, to a glorious end. And someday this earth and these heavens will be destroyed and new, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And, and Christ will return and, and everyone will be judged there's, there's going to be a climactic end with God as, as the winner and the people of God ushered into eternity in fellowship with him. So the church is the only institution that lasts for eternity. And, and so Amazon is not going to last, right? Nation states aren't going to last. Militaries aren't going to last. They're important. But they're not eternally important. The church is central to the gospel. Uh, God is not just trying to get individuals to heaven. He's creating a whole new society, a whole new humanity. And the church is super important to that because the church is, is where the people of God gather. And it is the primary vehicle through which he transforms us. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the primary disciple-making vehicle on earth. And it's also we gather together and we take the gospel out and, and invite other people in. So it's a very, if your vision of the gospel does not include the church, you have a deficient understanding of what God is trying to do in your life. And then finally, the church should be central to all of our lives. Look at verse 13. Paul writes, So I ask you not to lose hope, or not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. Why is he in prison? Because he's been out serving the church, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul's not lost heart, even though he's suffering. Why? Because he realizes my suffering is benefiting the church. The church was central to Paul's life. Why am I a pastor? Am I a pastor because I can't do anything else? I'd like to think not. But because as a young man, I, I concluded I want to serve the church. The church is significant. I want to spend my energy serving the church. That's important, and I want to be a part of it. Not, all of, not everyone can be pastors, because most of you have to fund the pastors. So you guys need to be out there. But the church still needs to be important to your life. 
because this is the institution God is building, right? This is what God is about. Christ said, Christ didn't say, I'm going to you know, build the biggest business. He said, I'm building the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, is the church significantly or uh, adequately central in your life? When I read the Bible, I, I do not see any room for a Christian life that does, is not lived out in the context of a local church. And so it grieves me when I encounter Christians who, who are not part of a local church by choice, right? Eh, I don't need that. I don't like organized religion. You bring people together, you organize them. You have to, right? And so, yes, the church is organized religion. It's the visible manifestation of the people of God. I, have, I, I grieve for those type of Christians because they're missing out tremendously. And oftentimes what I'm hearing from them it sounds like, I don't think I need the church to have a vibrant spiritual life. You're wrong. But it's not just, do I need the church? Does the church need me? And the answer to that is absolutely, we need you. In fact, the Bible is clear. The, if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God gives you a unique gift, which is not so you can go home and put it on a shelf. It's so that you can bring it to the church and serve the church. Your gift is to make my life better. My gift is to make your life better. We need each other. And, and so, if God has led you to Clearwater Church, Clearwater Church needs to be a significant part of your life. And you need a job. Find a way to serve. Try to figure out what it, how God has gifted you and how you can use that gift to serve the rest of us. Um, you need friends, and building friendships takes time, right? So you've, you can't just come and then leave. You've got to try, you know, we have places like journey groups where you can uh, be friendly to people. And uh, we have lots of ministries. You can set up and tear down early. We've got uh, junior high on Tuesday night, senior high on Wednesday night. We have small group ministries. We have children's ministry. We have lots of service projects. Uh, the bottom line is you can find a job. And you need to uh, find friends. And then, of course, the church takes resources. So bottom line is I, I just encourage you to with the Lord, wrestle with the question of, is the church, which is super important to God, and he's in the business of building it, is it significant enough in my life? Does it play a central enough role in my life? And I'll leave that up to you. Um, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to um, legislate for you what that looks like. God will, God will lead you in that. And so, all right, two questions as we go into prayer. Number one, if you're a Christian, wrestle with that question, is the church central enough in my life? And then secondly, if you're not a Christian, God is creating a new humanity there. You know, uh, when this world is destroyed, it will only be the people of God who are in the next world and who live forever and ever. And God wants you to be a part of that but you must be united to Christ by faith, which means you come to a point in your life, because every relationship has a beginning, you come to a point in your life where you say, God, I don't want to be separated from you. 
I recognize I'm a sinner. The wrath of God rests upon me because of my sin, but Jesus hung upon the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. So I turn to Jesus in faith, and uh, I will follow him right on into heaven. And God, when you do that, God has gathered you into his people, and then he begins the transformational process, changing us from the inside out by the power of his Holy Spirit and within the context of the local church to become the people he meant us to be. Let's pray.